Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Welcome to this special edition of Truth and Movies coming from the Venice Film Festival. So we're here at the 76th Venice Film Festival. It's our second day and we're going to be talking about some of the films we're seeing and giving you a little bit of colour on the experience of being on the ground at the Venice Film Festival. So let me introduce to you Christina Newland, who is a Little White Lives contributor and freelancer for various outlets across the globe. She's joining me today to discuss... I think we're going to talk about three titles that we've, we've caught up with, all world premieres. Christina, can you tell us a bit about the film that we've just come out of? Yeah, it was uh, the Kristen Stewart biopic of Gene Seberg called Seberg. It was mediocre, I think. Very stylish, great to look at. Kind of a nice supporting cast. Jack O'Connell is in it as a sort of sympathetic FBI agent who's listening in on Gene Seberg's calls and bugging her house uh, in the late 60s when she got involved with the Black Panther Party, seeing her as a potential political subversive and the ways in which that really did ruin her life. So it's a really interesting and very tragic story, but ultimately I wasn't super thrilled about it. It struck me as having a little bit of uh, parallel with the whole um, phone tapping thing and how that kind of intrusion can actually ruin people's lives. And did you get that kind of sense of emotion and uh, you know all that that kind of almost r- political contemporary side to the film a little bit but i think i was thinking about the conversation a lot the way that you know the main character the fbi character played by jack o'connell is like the sound guy he's the expert on making sure that everybody's everything's bugged up correctly and um him kind of sitting there and like listening back repetitively to different parts and becoming quite obsessed with her life her conversations yeah that felt Coppola like to me more than anything for me it's I think it's suffered a little bit of from that kind of slightly prestige biopic treatment that it's given just to add some context Jean Seberg was I think it's fair to say a massive star in the in the 60s she broke through as a in a role with um, 
uh, Jean-Paul Bermondo in, in Jean-Luc Godard's Breathless, and then she worked a lot in France, where she became a kind of almost cult figure, and tried to come back to work in the US to expand her, uh, her, her portfolio, I guess. And then, you know, the sort of left liberal political freedom that you maybe would have had it, been able to have in Europe at that time, especially post-1968, it just wasn't there in the, in, in the US. And when she, almost as a sort of casual gesture, signs over a very large amount of money to um, the Black Panther Party, the uh, FBI see that happening and uh, she is, she's in their crosshairs. And you have Kristen Stewart in this lead role. Was Kristen Stewart a good choice for the, the lead here? I think that she makes a very good effort and I think she's very talented, but there is something slightly off, I think, about her. Not just her, actually, but in fact the way she's filmed as well feels quite male gazy, which seems to be trying to make up for a certain lack of sultriness that she has. And I think Seaberg was quite sultry and I don't really get that from Kristen Stewart. I know that sounds quite harsh, but... I kind of agree. There is a lot of shots of her looking slightly anguished, wearing a very, very, very low-cut see-through negligee. Maybe that was how Seaberg dressed in private, but the camera does linger on it for a very long time. So <laughs> just to add it into the context of the festival, it's the first film we've seen, I, th- I believe, that is played out of competition. And I think generally as a rule, films that might receive a little bit harsher treatment from the press gallery are moved out of the main competition and into out of competition slots just to sort of it almost prepares you for the type of film you're going to see like it's, it's more mainstream it's not vying for any big prize so it's a different type of launch pad do you think that it was worth screening as an out of competition film yeah i mean i think it, it had its merit certainly i think i feel like her story is not widely known unless you're a listener to like you must remember this podcasts or you're really into hollywood history and the idea that she was really being punished by this right-wing moralistic force in the FBI at a time when there was so much backlash against youth culture and the counterculture and sexual revolution. So much of it seems to be wrapped up in, in that, like, they're seeing her as a slut. They're seeing her as somebody that's cheated on her husband, that's had a you know, interracial relationship. Um, and I think that some of the ideas around that were interesting to see. But the fact that it tries to kind of have its cake and eat it by doing that and then being really male gazy with her body is a bit of a weird trade-off, I think. Let's whisk our minds back if we are able to to uh, a whole 24 hours now of movies so back to yesterday so that that would have been the first day of the the festival that we had been here for they really decided to kick things off in high style with two massive films you have um, James Gray's Ad Astra which is his kind of very opulent slightly experimental sci-fi opus starring Brad Pitt and you also have Noah Baumbach's Marriage Story, which is his very, very delicate but funny and tragic dissection of a marriage, but also a sort of study of the differences between Los Angeles and New York. Let's kick things off with Marriage Story. What were your thoughts? I think it might have been one of my films of the year. I think it's kind of major from him. And Adam Driver and Scott Hansen are incredible in it the understanding of intimate relationships and this kind of 
tenderness between them, even in unexpected moments, even when things have become increasingly brutal in terms of their divorce, I think really kind of hits a nerve. And I think it's, it's a really beautiful, sad, funny film. That's funny you say that, because when we were speaking beforehand and you, I think, had read about the subject matter, your anticipation was maybe a little bit less than the actual result of seeing the film. What, what was it that was making it not seem like that kind of tasty prospect for you? A few things, I think. I, I've always liked Bombach, but never unreservedly loved in a, like a, a super passionate way. Partly because I, I worried that it would be you know, two hours slog about miserable relationship. I should have known better with Bombach because he, he's always pretty light-fingered in his approach and um, there's so much incidental humour that even at the saddest moments, you, there's a hopefulness, I think, to the film. But So partly it was him... Partly it was the fact that it was about a marriage falling apart. Certainly not for the actors. The actors were one of the things that I was most looking forward to and was happily kind of, um, I was not disappointed. I mean, Adam Driver has now made a bit of a, set a bit of a stall for himself as a kind of almost indie darling. He, he's just ticking off working with all these great modern auteurs and does great work with them most of the time, I, I would say, this not being an exception. I thought it was really interesting to see Scarlett Johansson in a film like this because I've almost come to expect her now doing big Hollywood sci-fi movies like Ghost in the Shell or doing her MCU thing. How did you feel about seeing ScarJo back in a meaty dramatic role? It was nice to see her be a human, kind of come down to earth, you know, wash her face because she's been crying and her eyes are all puffy and... She's perfectly capable, so it's a shame that she hasn't really had any of those roles recently. If I had a complaint about the film, I guess I would say that in the latter half, the focus does shift slightly more to Adam Driver's perspective in the marriage. Uh, And I'd like to have got a little bit more from her, from her point of view. To sort of add some plot details, it's more of a setup because it doesn't really have a a, a plot in the traditional sense. There's this high-rolling New York couple. He's a theatre director. She is his kind of lead actress. And they have a young son and it transpires that she has ambitions elsewhere and wants to work in TV and wants to direct herself. But he sees her as just part of his machine and his theatre company. And uh, there's some animosity that has arisen from that. And um, it splits the family up. They're originally based in New York, at the sort of American seat of theatre. And uh, Scarlett Johansson's character then moves to L.A., takes their son with them and then serves divorce papers from LA and then the film almost becomes a sort of a film about the law as well yeah there are two amazing supporting roles Ray Liotta plays this shark of a aggressive divorce lawyer who in his first meeting with Adam Driver as a prospective client immediately calls Scarlett Johansson's character a bitch am I allowed to say that yeah yeah <laughs> and then I think probably even better is Laura Dern's role as an equally triumphant successful divorce attorney for Scarlett Johansson's character and she has this great monologue at one point where she talks about the double standards that are imposed on mothers versus fathers that fathers are allowed to be imperfect mothers aren't they have to be perfect it gives you a little bit of an insight into her character and maybe why she is a divorce lawyer she basically frames God as an absentee father and someone who we forgive for being imperfect (laughs) which is a nice line I totally agree they are really funny and I I would also like to give a shout I mean I think one thing that Baumbach does really well in general with his films is he kind of unearths these talents 
who have been making films in the 60s, 70s, 80s. He's a real kind of cinephile and not just for the kind of canonical classics. He is someone who I think watches a lot of mainstream films as well and like genre and action and slightly kind of lower down the food chain movies. And uh, seeing Ray Liotta in a Noah Baumbach film, you do have that slight cognitive dissonance, which is very pleasurable. But someone who he's also cast is uh, the great comic actress Julie Haggerty, who probably best known from her role in, in the film Airplane as the air stewardess. She is tremendous in quite a small role as a kind of pantsuit-wearing wine mom who is still very much, is very fond of Adam Driver's character and it's kind of sad to see that his daughter is, is, is letting him go in this way. So I was really pleased to see her involved. Let's move on very quickly to, I guess, the sort of most glitzy and glamorous film at the festival so far and it wasn't the opener the opener was actually Hirokazu Koreeda's The Truth which alas neither myself or Christina were here in time to see but we will be watching at the Toronto Film Festival and covering it from there so look out for that but Ad Astra, Brad Pitt, Dad Pitt, (laughs) Dad Astra (laughs) the film is set in the uh, near future of a kind of considerable technological advance where the human race is now able to fairly easily travel the length and breadth of our known solar system but at a time when alien life or intelligence beyond our solar system is still yet unknown and Brad Pitt's father played by Tommy Lee Jones has taken a sort of science vessel situated by the rings of Neptune taken it hostage and is is sending these shock waves back to earth which is causing disruptions and potentially the death of humankind Brad Pitt then as his son and a uh, almost a sort of Captain America American superhero lantern jawed steely eyed unemotional his heart rate never raises above 80 even when he's like plummeting many miles to earth from this kind of weird space antenna he is sent on a mission to Mars to give his dad a ring and say hey dad why don't you stop uh, jeopardizing the future of humankind and it's directed by james gray who's done the lost city of zed and the immigrant and two lovers and quite a divisive guy and how did this fit into the the james gray catalog for you well it wasn't exactly what you'd expect considering his past two films have been period pieces as i think you said to me earlier like it's not your typical silly hollywood blockbuster but it's definitely that thing of you know that this director is a cinephile and sort of deeply versed in all different genres of cinema because you have this thoughtful sci-fi, which in some way seems to borrow from 2001 and canon philosophical science fiction. But on the other hand, you have moments in it that are almost borderline like splatter movie, like Event Horizon, more schlocky stuff, like really kind of intense, gnarly space deaths going on. There's one sequence that is a very, I think, obscure reference to Planet of the Apes, which we, let's not talk about, but there is a, an overall sense in the film that he's collecting together these very subtle name checks to a lot of classic sci-fi films, as you say, 2001, and uh, Solaris, the Tarkovsky film, would be another one. I thought that his whole gambit about looking at the moon in the near future and you know, assuming that capitalism will very much follow us into outer space as we colonize and build of the moon becoming like Disney World and there being tourist attractions and there being all sorts of corporate fast food chains. I th- that was a very canny decision on his part and one of my favorite bits, I think. And how did you find Brad Pitt? Because, I mean, he is 
on a bit of a roll this year. I mean, people are loving him on the back of his Cliff Booth in uh, Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. How does this compare? Oh, God, it's so different, but it just shows his range as an actor. And um, anybody that has maybe been sleeping on Brad Pitt for whatever reason shouldn't be anymore. But it definitely shows that he has the ability to be kind of a great deadpan comic actor as well as a proper leading man in an incredibly serious role. Like, it's very hard to even think of a joke in Ad Astra. Can you think of one? I can't think of a joke, no. (laughs) There are some little ironies in there, I think. Some of the references are a bit cheeky. But no, there was definitely no big laughs in the cinema, as there has been in in many of the other films that we've seen. I'm not a massive James Gray fan. I mean, I, I haven't really liked any of his films, and even though he does have quite an avid following amongst cinephiles and film dudes and stuff like that. And uh, I have to say, I, I kind of was coming to the film with sort of mild trepidation, thinking, oh, God, is this going to be another, like, thing that I love the idea of it and the prospect of it, but the reality is, is a kind of... It's just boring and indulgent and, you know, fair play to James Gray. He has the ambition. He has this immense ambition and he has this vision for everything he makes it doesn't connect with me often but this time it absolutely did and I think it's a really moving and emotional and emotive film helped by the score by Max Richter as well everything works in a really nice kind of visual emotional union I I thought and um, yeah Brad Pitt's performance where he is this kind of steely-eyed guy who just lets these tears roll occasionally it really got to me do you think it's too much of a kind of guy film no i mean i'm here for brad pitt's manly tears absolutely and i think he's fantastic i think part of my issue with it and why i came out initially quite lukewarm was that his voiceover it had this issue for me of being quite profound and moving in one moment and then in the next slightly overstepping or having to overstate or be repetitive about some of the emotional truths that are going on inside him and the conflicts that are going on inside him as he goes to kind of try and you know talk to his his father who's you know estranged out in space somewhere having said that I do I think it might be a bit of a grower because the more I've thought about it things about it like the fact that there's this existential threat to humanity and it seems like the least important part of the film in many ways because you are so invested in his own personal journey and his relationship with his father and I think it's very successful at doing that and I liked that about it so yeah I totally agree I think that like I think he knows that there, we've already seen many films where the threat towards humanity and the ticking clock and we have to take a thing to a place and do a thing and, and before the clock runs down. And he kind of almost sets the film up as that and then it just becomes something very, very different. And instead of expanding, it narrows. It gets smaller and smaller and more intimate and more intimate. And the final scene, it's like you're, you're almost nerve-wracking experience because you're thinking, is he going to pull this off? Is he going to bring all these, like weird eccentric strands together and I, th- I just think he really does but Christina I'm going to sign off now because we've, uh, we've been talking out on the grass and I'm, I'm nervous we're going to get sunburned so uh, we're over 30 degrees here so uh, it's hot 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 and the mosquitoes are out so thanks very much for having us Christina and we'll actually be uh, joining you again later in the festival to talk about films like The Joker and the new Pablo Loran film Emma and What else are we looking forward to? I'm looking forward to Baby Tooth. It's one of the, I think, two films in competition with the female director. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So thanks for having us. Um, As always, you can contact us at 
truthandmovies at tcolondon.com or at truthandmovies on Twitter. This has been a Seven Digital production. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.